1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. (laughs)
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast where it's 10 past 2am and we are on the whiskey. Whiskey bought for us, <laughs> or more specifically bought for David, by Pam Shriver. Hello, Pam. Hi, so Pam. this podcast is brought to you not only in partnership with AO Travel, but also with Pam Shriver's Scotch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, so, not, it's nice
1: so we'll see how this goes our women's final lineup is set 19 year old coco goff against future world number one come monday she will be the world's number one player arena sabalenka what a saturday night in new york that is going to be what a thursday night in new york it's has been, David.
3: Yeah, it really has been a lot actually today, hasn't it? And and I didn't necessarily think it would go like that, particularly because of the way the first sets of both matches went. Actually, I was really worried about how it was all going to go. Obviously, there was a there was a non tennis. Moment that we'll come on to as well, 45 moments actually, that interrupted playing the the, the, play the, the goff Mukova match. But actually, in many ways, the second match is the one that I'm just glad became a real tussle because it was, it was going horribly wrong from a Sabalenka point of view. And I don't feel as though Keyes can leave that court With too many regrets. Obviously, she would have loved to get over the line, but she played hard and she played well and she just lost to somebody who's better in those moments, I thought.
1: Well, let's lead with that match, shall we? Love 6-7-6, 7-6, Sabalenka. I know in lots of ways Coco Goff reaching the final is the bigger story and we'll cover that in lots of detail, but we've just watched Sabalenka come back from the most horrible of starts against madison keys and we're kind of still reeling from it an hour ago we were still on arthur Ashe stadium watching arena sabalenka celebrate what she thought was match points <laughs> when she got to seven oh, forgot about in in the match tie break we're exactly. we're kind of still in that moment we're still buzzing from all of it so let's kind of capitalize on that and look back on one of one of the most wild semi-finals I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And one of the most impressive mental performances that I've ever seen from a player, to be quite honest, because Arena Sabalenka has so much Grand Slam semi-final baggage. I know that she's won one before and won the Australian Open, but it still feels like this is a hurdle that she hadn't properly sort of overcome, you know, in a really tight match before she beat Magdalene in straight sets in January. And she came out against a player in Madison keys who was timing the ball so sweetly playing about as well as she can and about as well as anyone can. Really. It was awesome for Madison keys. Same time. Sabalenka was off and she drops that first set six love and honestly, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen in this match from this point onwards. I felt like Madison Keys could fall off. I felt like Sabalenka could carry on playing as she was. I felt like a turnaround was possible, and that was what happened. And there was almost this sense of well, if you never have the lead, you can't blow a lead because. That's been Sabalenka's problem in the semi-finals. She's been in winning positions and not been able to get over the line. So, in that sense, in this weird way, losing that first set of six love was was maybe a little bit helpful because she never had the lead in this match. Even when she, you know, started to get it together in the second set, Keys was still in a position to serve for the match. Sabalenka then played a great twelve points in a row to win them. I'm sure we'll come on to Madison Keys. I think she'll have some regrets about that period of the match. But once Sabalenka won that tie break in the second set, I thought, okay, now this is another test for Sabalenka because she's now in a position where maybe she can win this match. And she falls behind again in the third set down a break. But then kind of like, okay, that's maybe better than being in a winning position in that third set because of what's happened before. And from that point onwards from a breakdown in the third set i thought sabalenka was absolutely awesome she stepped up she played big powerful tennis she played world number 1 tennis and it was great to see and it feels like a really big moment in her career to be honest that she's that she's overcome some of that baggage
1: yeah I, I had the same feelings about the, the mental fortitude of that performance and a very specific type of mental fortitude. We're not talking about Nadal-esque mental fortitude, where it's like, as soon as a point is finished, it's it's gone. It's, it's disappeared from his mind and he's refocused on the ne- next one. I mean, some of her body language after that first set was extraordinarily bad. She got... She got a a warning from sportsmanlike conduct, didn't she? She tossed her racket sort of it not quite into the stands, but in the direction of her team. There was all sorts of remonstrations towards them. She was complaining about how well Madison Keys was playing. <laughs> the Grand Slam semi final, how dare she play this well was pretty much uh... the gist of it. It was, you know, it was not world number one type stuff, and it certainly wasn't the type of stuff that made you think don't worry, she's gonna put that first set behind her and she's gonna play like it never happened. And she didn't play like it never happened. You know, it's not like suddenly she turned it on and it was forgotten. She it it never felt easy for Arena Sabalenka tonight. It always felt on the edge, and yet even so she kept going for it and and I think
3: that's an incredible testament to her. Mm. She she might have the odd kind of tantrum, really. I mean, it was funny. Like she stamps her feet like a toddler. It's so funny. And then she chucked her racket up in the air, as you say, nearly. And then it ends up down the sort of side, like alley. Down a sort of back alley. Yes. yeah um, which is funny. I was just thinking when you were saying the, uh, the 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 score line of Love Six might have actually helped her. I was thinking, has that sentence ever been used before like I mean it's just, and I agree with you because I, I remember saying it at the t- at the time could it, it's a it's not a strategy you have is it <laughs> but it may end up being the one the thing that happens
1: well I also worried about it take away Sabalenka and all of her semi-final baggage I worried about that scoreline from a Madison Keys point of view because several lots and lots of ex-tennis players Top level ex tennis players will say that actually it's a bit of a disaster losing a set six love. Winning a set six love. Sorry, winning a set. I mean, also losing a set <laughs> six love in a different way. Winning a set six love is actually one of the worst score lines to win from because, you know, depending on how mentally strong you are, and I find this extremely relatable, you're thinking, oh my God, it can only go downhill from here, right? Yeah. I can't keep it up. The chances of this being a six love, six love are. Minuscule. Therefore, something's got to give way here, and I totally understand that mindset. And look, let's come on to talk about where the Madison Keys will and should have regrets. But it it, it definitely wasn't as simple as Madison Keys winning a first set six love and freezing because because the only way is down from there. That is not the story. Of this match, I
3: don't. I mean, look, I haven't spoken to her yet, and I'm sure she'll have. She'll be sad, and she'll be disappointed, and she, maybe she will have regrets. But I don't. I don't feel that she should be beating herself up about it. I thought she played way better than she's played in years. I mean, obviously she's got to a semifinal, and she really went for it, and she went toe to toe with the world number one, who's hitting the ball that hard, and she was out hitting her her strike is so pure it's a joke when she really is on and she and it was when I was watching it I was thinking if this is Coco Goff she's rolling these balls high up to 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 keys to try to stop this and I'm thinking I never thought I would ever think that Sabalenka Hmm. should stop trying to out hit somebody and actually try to slow ball them but that's what Keys was doing to her, she was winning the toe-to-toe showdown, which is an incredible sight because there were some actually extended rallies. It wasn't just all unforced errors. But so to me, I ended up, I ended up really enjoying the match because I feel like you kind of got the them both. You you got them both playing. She she went off to this great lead, and then Sabalenka just reeled her in, and then found a form when it really mattered. So it it sort of felt about right. Mm. It was the match I wanted to
2: see from Madison Keys. I wanted to see her involved in a close contest with a top player and her to live with her and stay with her. And she did do that. I think she played a bad game when she served for the match. Sabalenka nailed some returns, which helped. But Keys let that go, I think, that game. That was a loose game, and, it, and she hadn't... It, f- it felt quite over to me, the match. It was drifting in that second set towards mm. Keys serving it out. And when she didn't, the whole thing changed. And, and then it was a really good good tussle. I thought Sabalenka was the better player in the third set overall, but Keys was was staying with her despite having gone off court and had a lot of strapping put on her leg in between the second and third sets. I thought Madison Keyes was great tonight and actually, you know, you sort of apologized to her last night. I feel like I owe Madison Keyes a bit of an apology tonight because I didn't think she, she'd do that tonight. I thought this would be more one-sided for Arena Sabalenka and I thought Keyes was was exceptional and, and has been all tournament and it was a absolutely thrilling contest and for Sabalenka the point you made about how she got that warning and how she let some of her emotions out, I thought very interesting quote she gave on the court afterwards, sort of referring back to some of the previous semifinals where she said, she sort of spoke to a team and said she needed to let those emotions out because otherwise, quote, I would eat myself from the inside. And Incredible
1: I line, wasn't it, in the moment? Incredible. In the second language.
2: And, and said in a sort of quite, I don't know, she was in a sort of slightly giddy mood, wasn't mm. she, in that in that on-court interview? But that was a absolutely killer line, and I can't honestly remember exactly how she was sort of outwardly emoting in all those Grand Sam semi-finals that she's lost, but interesting that she feels like just getting it out of her system rather than bottling it up was, was maybe one of the keys today. And, you know, she never over that was that was not intentional um, she never overstepped the line there but just shows that I think she's been thinking about those other semi-finals mm. and trying to trying to learn from them and she did that tonight
1: the match reminded me of Sabalenka Rabakina
2: hmm not in, as high quality
1: n- not not as high quality They're absolutely not but in terms of I had sort of written it off Is they're both they're such similar players it'll just be about, you Unforced know, we, fest. Yeah, we, mm. we know those matchups, you've got yeah. two big hitters up against one another. one is more consistent than the other, boom, done, and it, it wasn't like that at all, and I'd, I'd totally forgotten, I can't actually remember the last time I watched Madison Keys live in in the stadium, but I had forgotten what a pure hitter she is, it's such a different big hit to Arena Sabalenka, and that was my impression of the um Australian Open final that Sabalenka played with Rabakna in their Indian Wells um semi-final? Final. Final, final. Mm. Yeah. Um as well that their the strikes when you when you see them up close, the strikes are actually really, really different. It's it's there's, there's so much more not to take anything away from the incredible muscle of the the Sabalenka strike, but the purity of the Madison Key's strike is really beautiful and I'm I'm so pleased that she gave a good account of herself today. How much of a comfort it'll be, I don't know. I, th- I think she shrugs off disappointment far better and far differently than she used to when she reached that Australian Open semi-final last year. She talked about, well, she put into words something that so many tennis players express at some point in their careers about that process of trying to find a way for your whole happiness and your whole self-esteem, not to depend on your tennis results. And she talked then about having found that in her life. So, um, I'm sure she'll be fine in the end, but I'm sure it hurts a lot right yeah,
3: now. I do feel like she's, I don't know whether she's had therapy, uh, or, or what sort of help she's had, but I think she's had to learn, as you say, to come to terms with, the results not necessarily matching the hype including our own you know our expectations and uh, it's it's not easy for a teenager to come along like that with that much talent and that much expectation and constantly be reminded that you haven't delivered on it uh, in quite the way people thought you were and they're, they're sort of imposing their and, and I'm one of the ones guilty. I would have imposed my expectations on her as a member of the media. She wouldn't, she wouldn't know that necessarily, but the the whole, she would know about You know, the kind of relentless pressure and expectation, they feel that. Even if they're not reading it, they feel it. Him and her and Grigor Dimitrov, they, they are similar in that way. Um, and I think that she's probably learnt to live a happy life because of it. I noticed she said... That it's quite nice that nobody's taking any notice of her. It's all about Coco Golf, and it's also about a little bit about Jessica Bagula. And there are, she's not the one anymore, so she can kind of distance herself from it. And she's clearly happier as a result, and she's probably playing better now as a result. Be in, just be interesting to see whether there's anything more down the pipe for her.
2: And, and that's it, isn't it? That, that I'm so pleased. That all sounds so healthy. Madison Keys, yeah. but at the same time, you got the sense that Sabalenka's will was bigger mm. tonight. She Absolutely. she
3: she couldn't have handled it, really. Right. She, she'd have been a mess for several days. Exactly, if she hadn't. And,
2: and she went out and and got it. And 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 that sounds like such a sort of flippant thing to say from a from a tennis match that I'm sure was, you know, won and lost, and I'm sure with a lot of tactical battles as well, but will and desire and sort of champions mentality comes into it as well. And Sabalenka's shown and proved that she's got that. And Madison Keyes, as great as she was, was just missing that, that little edge.
1: Yeah, I think this is such a brutal sport. I do think you have to be basically mentally unhinged (laughs) to be the most successful at it to be at the very very top and that leads to a tension for podcasters for example doesn't it because we want the best for tennis players we want their best performances and we want to see fangs out there and and yet you know, see this discussion and many others. Quite often, that you sort of deep down know that that means rooting for something quite dark. Yeah. Actually, it's far healthier to be how Madison Keys is, and yet I'm thinking, oh, but what a shame you didn't have just a tiny bit more fang. Uh, it, but the f- the, the fangs. I agree with you. Yeah.
3: It, it, it's a sl- it's a bit of a discord. When, you're, when you think about them, because i care I do care about their mental health and their happiness as human beings, um, but yes, it's also great to see the champions. somebody like Savalenka, I kind of feel like her her happiness is wrapped up in whether she wins or not to some to quite a large degree. I think that that that, that peace is is often only comes when she 's over the line,
1: mm. Can we talk, just before we move on to the first of the semi-finals? could we just devote a tiny bit more attention to Sabalenka celebrating it when yeah. she reached seven d- in the tie break? D- Describe it. Well, my experience of it was leaning over to Matt and going, look at all these chumps with their phone out, filming, <laughs> thinking it. this is match point. And, and I it turned I... out that the world number one was also one of those chumps.
3: And, I, and I'd very excitedly celebrated the fact that a game earlier, I'd realized that it was going mm. to be a 10-point tiebreak. Because I always forget, as well. Mm. And, I, and I've, I've often gone into them as a commentator. And fortunately, somebody has just referenced it, not telling me. And I've just been like, oh, I'd completely forgotten that. <laughs> um, so, yes, I, I'd remembered. So I was very proud of myself. And, I, and then they announced it at the start of the tiebreak. Yeah. They very clearly announced it everybody in the stadium must know arena sabalenka absolutely must know and then they get to what was it 6-3 something like that yeah and she Two, she three. she wins the point and she throws the racket on the ground in celebration yeah it wasn't
1: something you could style
3: out no was, oh, no <laughs> it was she, and, and it went on for a few seconds
1: cuz she turned her back on the court and went to celebrate with her team so she wasn't she wasn't seeing any of the indicators <laughs> that might make her realise. And uh, th- this all goes to what we've o- already discussed, which is her mental strength. But just to come back from that without blinking.
3: And also because I feel like she was, was slightly amazing. she's slightly self-deprecating in those moments. Mm. She's, mm. she's humorous. And she saw the funny side. She was able to, suppress her, she was able to say the funny side when the team is saying, no, no, you haven't <laughs> finished yet. And she did, she didn't blink. She was amazing. She won it twice. Mm. It was a lovely, it was it's such great. a great moment. I will, I'll,
1: I just know it's one of those moments that I'll remember in yeah. years to come. It'll really stand out. What will what, probably stand out to me from Coco Goff's six four seven five victory over Carolina Mukova is the last half hour and in particular the last game of this match. I I think that'll live long in my memory, which is probably giving the match too much credit because large portions of it were truly horrific. But, you know, the the first has there ever been a greater contrast between the first half hour of a match and the last half hour of a match? I honestly don't think I have ever
3: seen one. It, it was so deflating, the first seven games. I mean, that Coco Golf played nicely. Karolina Mukova was absolutely appalling. I mean, I don't know whether it was nerves or or what, but, you know, this player of such beautiful timing... Couldn't time the ball; she couldn't get it in. It was like when Cameron Norrie has a bad day. It was just terrible.
2: (laughs) Cameron Norrie (laughs) catching
3: strays, (laughs) Uh, always from David. Always, but I mean, you're right. When she, I mean, obviously there was the, the big palaver in the middle, but I mean, when she found a timing at the end and started to really sink her teeth into the match and fight, and that's when it was at its absolute peak because you've got them both just pulling at at the rope and trying to yank it off each other it
2: it was truly one of the weirdest tennis matches that i've seen i mean three three acts act one just a total horror show i mean there were there were seven winners between them and 29 unforced errors in the first set and I think that's a generous
1: 29.
3: Uh, I, I'd
2: agree, yeah. Was it 6-1 set? No, no, it was...
1: 6-4. Because Coco Gauff didn't play well, very well it either. Was five,
2: yeah. one, it was 5-1, she? One, she and had her Coco own Goff little period in there. Completely lost her forehand. You wouldn't yeah. know that
3: I'd commentated on it, <laughs> would
2: you? <laughs> I mean, Coco Gauff's forehand broke down in that first set after she was 5-1 up. And suddenly all Mukova had to do was find the court, which she was having... Big trouble doing, but when she started doing it, Goff responded with a series of unforced errors, and it was so awkward and so bad and so terrible. Mary carillo said she'd never seen a major semi final that bad, first set quality wise. It was so bad. And
3: golf was just rolling it, wasn't she? To, yeah, to, 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 we, in, to, to entice the arrows, yeah. right? Which wasn't a bad tactic. Oh. Like she
2: was, she was, yeah, looping that forehand, really targeting the Mukova of a backhand, um, and the Mukova of a forehand was all over the place to begin with as well. It, it was.
1: <laughs> it, I, I, <laughs> I think, cannot
2: stress enough how bad it was. I think the horror minute. of Mukova's
1: Mook- <laughs> I think the horror of M- Mo performance. Infected Coco Golf because she had no rhythm. Her mind must have been swirling with, well, the same things our mind was swirling with. With like, is this tennis? Like <laughs> this, it, it it just must have been such a different match to the one that she prepared for. Karolina Mukaeva, the more experienced player in in that scenario and on that stage of all of all, the, and look, we. Previewed this match last night, and we were all absolutely on a knife edge about this one and which way it would go. There were lots of different scenarios, but one that I haven't e- hadn't even countenanced was Karolina Mukova freezing like that for a set.
3: Mm. I think I mentioned anjou Wimbledon final in my commentary. Wow! Yeah, and I, and I, look, I, I couldn't see because we are a long way away i couldn't see the face of Mukova to be able to judge what what's going on out well, there she Is doesn't this?
1: give much away no. in that um,
3: in that respect so yeah but but it was that haunting in terms of how bad it was, <laughs> it was. Mm.
1: and then at one love in the second set at which point by the way i, I marked this down it was 32 one full series to 8 winners and i would say the th- 32 was ungenerous and well, the h was generous
3: not a great ratio <laughs>
1: not a great ratio at that point there was a kerfuffle a, kerf- a kerfuffle whose nature did not really become clear for quite a long time and actually a lot of the clarity was provided by molly McElwee of the telegraph who went and did some up close reporting on this there were three protesters in the stand they were wearing t-shirts that bore the words end fossil fuels so very similar to the just stop oil protesters that um, have been very prominent in the UK recently and over the summer over ma- at major sporting events two of those protesters were removed without too much fuss there was a stoppage to play but you know sort of unremarkable amount of fuss but one of them glued his bare feet to the floor, which meant that security, the NYPD and medics had to be involved in the extraction process. And as I say, the exact details of all of that did did only sort of became Clear filtered through over the course of a 45-minute period, 45-minute stoppage in the match. We were seeing shots of both players and their teams backstage while, while you're seeing sort of stuff come through on social media about what's going on with these protesters. The USTA eventually released a statement explaining why it took so much time. They said the fan in question affixed himself to the floor. And due to the nature of the action, medical professionals, NYPD, and security personnel were needed in order to resolve the issue. Um, and this isn't this is another one where there's a huge amount of tension here because it was horrible to see that it was it was absolutely not what any of us want to see in a Grand Slam semi-final or at any time during a major sporting event. I felt for. The spectators, I felt for the players, hugely, I mean, just terrible for the players and their teams and everybody. I felt for us, it's cost us an hour of sleep. I'll miss that tomorrow. Dreadful. Don't want to see it. But equally, (laughs) there is a climate crisis. The world is ending. We've had evidence of that the last four days here in New York and... You know that if you're looking hard enough and you have to look that hard, there is evidence of it everywhere you look, and these people were peacefully trying to do something about that, and i you know I'm not gonna go out there and do it but i'm I'm also not gonna come down on them like a ton of bricks for peaceful protest about something that is worthy of peaceful protest because protest by definition has to be disruptive in yeah. order to be effective that's that is the point if it weren't disruptive it would be pointless
3: yeah uh, i couldn't agree more and it was great to hear yet again Coco goff say that she believes in climate change and the and the problems that it's causing and she understands that people need to protest or want to protest, and she doesn't have any problem with that. She says, Yes, I wish it wasn't due in my match as it happens tonight because obviously I'm trying to win a tennis match and it's not ideal. Um, but I think you summed it up perfectly, Catherine. I've got nothing else to add. Mm.
1: Oh, okay. That's right. Should, rare, should isn't we go it? back to the unforced <laughs> error to, to winner what? ratio then? Because that was a treat.
3: <laughs> the, the only thing I would say, and uh, I don't know how how hard to to be on the U.S. Open for this, but the speed that it took for them to act seemed insufficient to me. Just just as a layperson watching Brad Gilbert turning around, pointing at people, the the match being interrupted, and the, the, it seemed to take a long time. Now, for all I know, the protester who actually glued his feet to the floor may have already done that, and therefore there may have been nothing that anybody could have done to get him out. But the video footage we saw, they got the other two out, um, and this gentleman, they they didn't. but But it did seem to take a long time versus what I remember at Wimbledon and the communication at Wimbledon being this is likely to happen, we're expecting it to happen, we're doing, we're beefing up security, but the chances are it will still probably happen. And yeah. I didn't get that sense that there was a preparedness in quite no, that it, same way. No, it was way.
1: interesting. Look, I, I was w- watching on the ESPN feed, and m- as soon as I heard it was protesters, my assumption was that it was just stop oil or something similar because we are so attuned to that i'm expecting there to be something from climate activists at major sporting events now or certainly an attempt at something and yet the the tone of the coverage and i could be wrong about this indicated to me that it just wasn't on their radar at all as something that might happen so maybe it's just been less prominent here in the u.s i i don't know but yeah, you know, I, I know that it, at Wimbledon and other major sporting events over this summer, it was a massive topic of discussion. Um, doing, doing what can be done to prevent those protests, but ultimately, I'm not sure you can police people bringing T-shirts and glue.
3: No, and, and I into mean into a
1: sporting it's event like it's this. Twenty four
3: thousand people. I mean, it is an enormous. It's yeah. hard to it's hard to describe the humanity out there, the number of people you're mixing with in a tennis stadium. This isn't a football ground with with a hundred meter pitch and the, and the stadium surround or the, or an NFL stadium. It's but it is just such an enormous number of people. Um, but I did I did I'm sure they will be looking at it and trying to trying to improve that situation because look again. You've you've highlighted the the competing emotions we have when when looking at protesters and the feelings we have about it. But you know, what if it wasn't protesters? What if it was some some something else? I don't know whether the reaction would have been much much quicker. I mean, there is a, an incredible uh, security presence. But all the they were floor. doing is
1: was sitting there and chanting, right, and and gluing their yes. feet to the. To the ground, so it's hard to judge whether they would not act quicker or more drastically. Yeah. If
3: I think they probably would.
1: Yeah. Y- exactly. And yeah, they like... probably would
3: have Yeah.
1: Um. So anyway, back to that winner and unforced error <laughs> <laughs> ratio, which at that point was in a sorry, sorry state. Um, look, things didn't improve enough to rescue that that ratio at the end of the match and things, it wasn't like they came out, they came back out after that 45 minute delay and it was a brand new tennis match straight away. It wasn't as simple as that, but it was given the opportunity to evolve into something at first decent and then at the end, briefly sensational.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've been we have been waiting for a memorable, high-quality match in this tournament, to be quite honest. we have been waiting a long time. And we didn't get a full match of it, but we got half an hour of the most compelling, dramatic, high-quality, thrilling tennis there. And Mary Carrillo said as soon as they came back out that she liked the sound of the match better. I thought that was a really good way of, of putting it because they were both... Suddenly, striking the ball a bit, a bit, you know, with more intent, a, a bit more cleanly. And as you said, it wasn't brilliant straight away, but it, it evolved into something absolutely epic. And that period of the match, the last few games, was Mukova playing her very best stuff. And I thought that would be good enough to beat Coco goff I thought that she would have too many ways to win points and. I was wrong because Coco Goff stood up to it in the most, the most fantastic way. I mean, Mukova started coming forward and making volleys that she'd been missing. And Coco Goff responded by trying to lengthen the rallies. There was this incredible 40-shot rally Oof. where I think I made my debut on Czech radio because I was I was Matt, s- sat next to Czech radio guy as I have been all tournament, and I I had a I had a physical reaction to the rally. I couldn't. It was like he pressed quiet. an
1: ejector button. He <laughs> leapt that far off his seat with a <laughs> and yelp. I didn't, and then and I at didn't,
2: the, I didn't at I didn't the know same time, we had David over <laughs> <He> our <laughs> shoulder actually commentating on it, and. Making it even more dramatic and intense. It was it was a, a sort of out of body experience. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a special time, wasn't it? Those it was just as, l- locked in a bit of magic. Yeah, that as, final game as
2: match points were coming and going for Coco Golf With and Forehand errors. There was there was forehand errors on some of the match points. There was a couple of outstanding oh. mook of a dry volley oh, to save a couple so of them.
1: so gutsy.
2: It was like, how could someone play the tennis she played at the start of the match and then play that tennis match point down?
3: That's like, what I love about sports and love incredible. about tennis is the way people can sometimes just get over whatever's afflicting mm. them and then just, boom, they're on it. Oh, so good.
1: She, um... She's told ESPN after the match, Coco Goff, that she's sure that this Grand Slam final will be different to the last one that she played at the French Open. She said, First time around, I put too much pressure on the moment. I don't think I believed in myself then. I believe in myself now.
3: Great line. And, and mm-hmm. I think she will... I think she she knows herself more as a tennis player now. I think... Probably the new coaching setup has helped a little with that, but she's experienced, she's her her rolling these forehands down the line is such a clever way of hiding her weakness and hurting a powerful opponent. I can see that happening time and time again to Irina Sabalenka.
1: Was that a prediction, David?
3: I haven't made a prediction yet, <laughs> but I can I have made a prediction about what I think she will do. I haven't told you what I think will happen when she does it, score-wise. Well, we will have more time on tomorrow night's podcast. Yes, we will.
1: To preview the women's final, Coco Goff in her second Grand Slam final. It's a belter on paper. Against oh. Serena Sabalenka in her second Grand Slam final.
3: Mm. Yeah. It's hard to th- believe that, isn't it? I'm, she, because she's been consistent this year, you, uh, sort of, you, Yes, she's world number one, but it is still new. Mm.
1: It's 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 the perfect final, isn't it's it? It's so great. It it it, it has storyline wise, it's
3: mouth watering. And the crowd, without exception, everybody will turn up knowing exactly what they want. They yeah. will want Coco Goff to win. Had it, I mean, bless Kiza, if she'd have won this title all good luck to her. But in terms of the occasion we saw it when she played Stevens. The crowd don't really know what to do. They might pick a favorite, but they're all a lot of them are Americans and there are two Americans. Hmm. Here you have absolutely the player they're gonna root for. Sabalenka is she she's a she makes a brilliant villain because she's not really a villain. She's just lovable <laughs> really in it's a pantomime way. pantomime villain. She, yes, pantomime villain exactly. And but it all works, I think, for the occasion. I, I hope, I hope they, as always, they both settle and play the way they can. I'm quite confident in that final
1: being good. I don't know why I would say that after tonight. Ask me again when it's but, but, five but, love to someone in the first. <laughs> I mean, round. I
3: agree with you, but and and the, the beauty of tonight is that both of those two matches turned into something mm. good, even mm. though they started like.
2: Say it.
0: That's right! We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night that's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too.
1: we have a few <laughs> minutes to preview the men's semi-finals tomorrow or later on the day today depending on how you look at it before we do that i'm going to remind you about the incredible competition that we are running in association with our partners for this us open ao travel if you didn't already know ao travel operate the travel program for the first grand slam of the year the australian open in melbourne in january AO Travel offer packages where they take care of everything, your flights, your premium accommodation, tickets to the tournament, behind-the-scenes experiences, and that includes the all-new AO Travel Lounge, and it is to celebrate the launch of that very AO Travel Lounge that we are offering an incredible prize to one lucky tennis podcast listener and a friend who will win an AO Travel Premium Lounge Package to the Australian Open in January. They'll be going in style, two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to Rod Laver Arena over the middle weekend of the Open for two people, three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman-on-the-Park Hotel in Melbourne, as well as two-day access to the luxurious AO Travel Lounge. You enter... Via the link provided in your show notes, you have until Monday, the 18th of September at 11.59pm, New York time to enter. Terms and conditions apply, and most importantly, good luck.
3: Yeah, middle weekend tickets to go and see the Australian Open. What a brilliant mm. few days that is.
1: American Andrew was at the... um the open and in fact might be returning to the open because he said he would try and come back if Coco Goff reached the final
2: he, he will be he's got his ticket
3: oh Has he yeah.
2: he bought it well, he bought his ticket in advance Oh. And he was going to sell it if Kobe oh, Goff wasn't okay. in the final. <laughs> He's
1: <laughs> got good, it all sorted that's good out. good planning.
3: Mm. That's
2: sell a, it and potentially lose some money.
1: That's a man that's familiar with Ticketmaster. He was yeah. on
3: our Twitter today just doing an amazing Belting job. Belting
1: job. What I was going to say is that Andrew always gets the Labour Day middle weekend package to the US Open, which obviously different Grand Slam, but he swears by the, mm. the middle weekend package being... The thing to have.
3: I know you're not into
2: quarterfinals. I was going to say it's what? good that those tickets aren't quarterfinals. After what, trash the quarterfinals?
3: Well, 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 what do you make of the middle of the weekend? Great. Yeah, that's a, that's a Great. good. Good time. I, I like it too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Coming for the final is also good, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. You, you've nailed it. Yeah. You've nailed the US Open. It's all good, don't
3: you? Listen to that.
1: Um, <laughs> men's singles semi-finals tomorrow. What's going to happen?
3: I think they're both going to be fun. I think... That's vague. That's vague, David. (laughs) I think Ben Shelton is going to bring it and he's going to hurt Djokovic. For Uh, a set? He's going to rock him.
1: Or in a meaningful way?
3: I think he's going to win a set. No. (laughs) At least a set.
1: I think he's going to win it. I think he might rock him for the first set and then Djokovic will take over. Yeah, I think you'll rock him, but think, not in a meaningful way. I
3: think you'll rock him twice. Djokovic in five, you think? I think Djokovic in four, okay. I That's... think. I will finalise that view when I do my newsletter prediction. Which, is which going needs to
1: be, to be extremely soon, David. At 3am. We're planning to go to <laughs> bed pretty soon okay. after we finish this. <laughs> Matt?
2: I think... I think they might both be straight sets.
0: Oh, mm.
3: Matt Roberts. I mean,
2: I get everything wrong, so that's great news for those <laughs> I two I definitely two think semifinals.
3: that's extremely possible. Well, of course. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most likely scenario, isn't it, really? <laughs> Given the way those two Pan are. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. That, we are Brits, <laughs> after all. Yeah, maybe I, I'm not sure. Maybe I, I don't feel like a Brit, the way I'm so optimistic for amazing... classics but I do do, do think they're going to be fun though even well the beauty is because these these two matches feature players who are such shot makers and then Medvedev who may not be that much of a shot maker but he's brilliant on the run and stuff like that and he's got his personality there's no duds there
2: it It does feel a bit to me like a Wimbledon situation where I wish they were the other way around.
3: Yeah, wouldn't that be good? So you would like to see Medvedev Djokovic and Shelton Alcaraz whipping up a showtime. A thousand
1: times, yes.
3: If if they could
2: arrange that tomorrow. Mm.
1: (laughs) I just, I want to see Medvedev, even if it is disastrous, I want to see him try something different. And fun against Alcaraz because his game doesn't work, and he is a tactician, isn't he? That's his thing. Should he? He's, he caught there's that ahead of the quarterfinal with Rublev. That video was circulating, the intercut video of him and Rublev, who are obviously best mates, going back a long way with Medvedev saying his nickname among all the other players is the chess master and explaining why it's that. Is because I'm, I'm such a master tactician. Everyone says, I'm, I'm just such a chess player out there. And Rublev goes, no, 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 octopus. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> it's brilliant. But like, yeah, you're a chess master. Do something chessy tomorrow. And it could absolutely fail, but
3: you've tried. I think, he will tr- that's, I think that's what he will try. My question for you, Catherine, is should he try Disruptor? What I mean is, should he find something to get pissed off about and just go the whole pantomime, people in the crowd, Look, umpire?
1: I'd love to see it, but I don't think he ever goes on the court consciously looking to do should that. Should he?
3: <laughs> <laughs> And would you be okay with it if he did?
1: No, because it needs to be organic. Okay. That's why we love him, isn't it?
3: I'm afraid I agree with you. <laughs> um,
1: just quickly, before we have one final little treat for you in terms of men's semi-final preview, um, I will uh, give you some more detail on what's going on in the wheelchair events tomorrow, because they're progressing as well as the junior events but we have our men's doubles semi-finalists it will be once again for the third time in a row rajiv ram and joe salisbury they will take on rohan bapana and matt ebden very well done bapana and ebden but you did beat pierre uga bear and Nicolas mo
3: yeah
2: Mm. rohan bapana i believe is the oldest man ever to reach a grand slam final is that right? He, he's he's overtaken he Daniel Nestor's
1: record. He's got he's got a grey beard. Like <laughs> he does, he, <laughs> and has had for a while. <laughs> and he's, he seems very proud of and it. And we were watching Stefan Day uh, earlier in the men's wheelchair doubles semi-final, which he and partner Takashi Sanada won over Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid seven, seven, six How old is Stefan Day, Matt? We looked it up because. Well, he looked quite old, so we <laughs> wanted to check. 52. 52. <laughs> that's great,
3: isn't it?
1: Fantastic. He's into the final. Oh, Incredible. That's,
3: that is something else.
1: Um, but yeah, I promised you an extra little men's semi final preview treat, in particular for the first semi final. David, over to you.
3: Yeah, um, this is a conversation i got to have i got to meet brian shelton at wimbledon the father of ben shelton and and over the past year i've i've really just generally been interested in this story because ben came on on our radar really properly i know a lot of you who who really follow the circuit will have known more about him last year for us and certainly for me it was really at the australian open this year when he reached the quarterfinals I, i got a chance to have a little chat with him at that time he had never left the country until he went to Australia and I found that absolutely fascinating Um, and I was given the chance to to meet Brian his dad who was a former ATB player he was just outside the world's top 50 he was a very good grass court player and somebody I remember from the 90s so (laughs) of course I wanted to meet him when I had the chance and and the interesting thing was that he had recently given up a, a very high profile and interesting job as coach of the Florida Gators university team in order to travel with his son and um that was you know a surprise on Will never because it was such a great job but it's his son and um and so I, I had a chat with him and we I put to him the visual that we had of Ben in Indian Wells throwing the American football the entire length of the field and asking whether that was the where the serve had come from and he said you know he, he he used to be a quarterback you know he wanted he wanted to be a, a football player for quite a long time and and he was really quite a good quarterback and that's that is where the serve comes from but he eventually concentrated on tennis and, and he was talking about how from that Australian Open he then decided to just really stamp that passport and go to Europe and plod around the clay court surf, uh, circuit and and hardly win any matches certainly not win any back-to-back matches at all between the australian open and here in new york which but he said it was an education for him and 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 they wouldn't do it again next year they would probably prioritize grass a little bit more and it was just a really interesting conversation and, and brian had a real effect on me and particularly towards the end of the interview i I, I've just thought about what he's had to say a lot since then, and we thought we'd just play a few minutes of, of it for you. Um, starting with me asking why, in his junior years, Ben didn't play much tennis.
0: Yeah, well, we wanted Ben at home uh, with the family, and so we kind of forego playing the the international events and chasing points and ITF rankings and those things to really focus in on his development. Um, first, as a person, you know, we wanted him in regular school, which he did all the way through. Today, many of the, the top tennis players have gone through online schooling as kids, and we wanted him to really understand what it felt like to be part of something that's at home, and, and uh, my wife, Lisa, and I, we really wanted to have an impact on him every single day and so it's hard to do that when your kid's living somewhere else or traveling around the world and so for us that was really important that he had just a solid foundation and base and a lot of different skills and uh, going to college was also something that was you know a reality and we really wanted him to experience that being part of a team and understanding that you know you're not the most important person all the time and and you got to learn how to share and work with others and just developing so many character traits that we think are really really important and uh, I think that'll those things will serve him well and hopefully he'll have a long career and a fruitful one but I'll always be able to keep things in perspective based on the foundation that we've kind of been able to set for him
3: you're able now to have an influence on him day to day on the road as well because you're here dad and a son on the road all the time together is is that ever tricky
0: i think it will be i think it will be tricky at times and i think it's really really important that we understand you know how to work well together and, and continue to to you know be on the same page there you know he needs that time where he can go have dinner with his friends and And uh, enjoy some time without mom or dad around, you know, because he's 20 years old and he's got to learn and experience things on his own. And so it's finding the time to to put my coach hat on and understand that there's work to be done and and we're going to work well together on the court because we have a long history of doing that so far. Um, But also understanding when it's time for me to kind of not talk about tennis or not be around and and give him the space that he needs to be able to grow and develop and and just be a normal 20-year-old, you know, and and moving forward from there. So, you know, I think that we'll, we'll be able to find that balance. It's something that we have mutual respect for one another, and I think that that's something that we both value, and uh, something that I'm going to be s- just very aware of as we move forward.
3: Just as a final question, and there's there's only so much crystal ball gazing we can do successfully, um, and other things being equal, injuries come into a, a player's development. But if those things are equal, if he doesn't suffer bad injuries. In terms of timeline, what, how long do you think it will take for him to to reach his physical potential or at least to develop and to be fully ready for, for the rigours of the circuit in the way that maybe he one day will be? How long do you think it will take?
0: Uh, you know, I, it's hard to put a timetable on on development and maturity and growth and those things. And, you know, I think if we continue to learn from each each match, each day, each practice, and continue to grow in that way, then he's going to continue to move in the right direction. And one thing I know for sure is that I'll never put limitations on what he can accomplish. You know, I I learned that, you know, a few years back and realized that he's just so different than I am. And the limitations that I put on myself, I certainly would not want to put on him because he doesn't put any limitations on himself. You know, I think he sees himself as being one of the best players in the world ultimately. And so I think that that's certainly a, something that he can accomplish and you know, we're not we're not in any rush, you know, the most important thing is that he just continues to get better each day. And as he has the right mindset, then I think he'll be consistent with the results that he has. And so it's about developing that mindset, developing his body, developing his game and his skills and just letting it kind of just run a natural course with the work that he puts in
3: sorry Brian I just found that fascinating that you talk about limitations that you put on yourself but you're you're, you're keen not to put on him that suggests that you you're quite different or, or that, that you've maybe almost learning from him
0: yeah absolutely I think the things that I thought years ago were weaknesses I realized were strengths you know Ben Ben was one of those kids that when he went to a tournament at a young age and came home and after losing in a quarterfinals I'd ask him what do you need to do to get better Ben to be able to win that match the next time and he would say dad I just need to grow and get stronger once I do that I'll have a lot of success out there against guys like that I'll continue to beat them I kept thinking to myself that's not the right attitude." But now I look back and I realize that he had an internal confidence that I didn't have at the same age or the same stage. And I really needed to continue to help him just grow that confidence in himself and build his self-esteem, which was already pretty strong, and realize that, man, this is a different guy that I'm talking to right now than myself. (laughs) I wish I had that mentality or that attitude when I was coming through at his age.
1: What a lovely chap and um such a fascinating in- insight and gives you faith that it it might be possible to be a top tennis player and a well-adjusted human being yes at the same time
3: yeah i i i think as a father myself i can really relate to what he's saying i'm trying to wrestle with not imposing my experiences exclusively on my young son because he's very different to me and i i I, I found it fascinating, and seeing their interaction together in with Brian in the the coaching box, and the the freedom that that Ben Shelton plays with, and the the charisma he has, he just loves it, and he loves performing and and showing you how incredible he's he, he is athletically, and and not holding that back. And and, it, and watching what he does tomorrow will be so fascinating because he's playing the ultimate. He's playing the in in words of Simon Briggs today, he's playing the ultimate winning machine in Novak Djokovic. And is there a way to disrupt that with with that kind of chutzpah and power, raw power? It's going to be fascinating.
2: Matt
1: Roberts thinks no. <laughs> I do love
2: it when David says chutzpah though.
1: It's good right let's get to bed folks it's eight minutes past three we have some very important stuff to say first though we have to say hello to willow our lovely lovely mascot hello willow we have to say hello to zenya hello zenya we were a six love set away from getting some points today no biggie uh david has to say hello to maisie all
3: right maisie I turned 50 today, and you, your, your little face was there on my Aww. phone. Oh, so and nice.
1: And Matt and Darwin.
3: Yep, no points. <laughs>
2: <laughs> None of us got any
3: points. Billie
1: Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have top folks and executive producers. You know them well. They're Jamie, Hannah, and Drew. And we have late-night shout-outs, Matt.
3: Mm,
2: for Aaron Farkas in Los Angeles. Oh, hello, Aaron Light. Like. Aaron Crickstein. Yes. From
3: 1991, Jimmy well, and, Connors and fame. And other <laughs> Yes, but that's the one we all remember from when it used to rain and there wasn't a roof. <laughs> and so they'd play that match all the time.
1: There must be other tennis Aarons. I think of Aaron as quite an athletic name.
3: It is a good good athletic name, yes. And I can't think of any. What's an unathletic name? <laughs> Clive. More <laughs> Clyde.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron.
3: There's no arguing with that, <laughs> is there? Clive. Owen? The Owen. D-
1: not, <laughs> not an athlete.
3: Clive no. the Glide Drexler. Clive. Basketball player from 1992. Clive Woodward? On did he Michael play rugby Michael Jordan? as well as coaching? No, there's exceptions to rule All
1: right, Derek. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think, you, I think you, you're definitely on something.
1: <laughs> Thank uh, you, Aaron. <laughs>
3: We have Debbie Thorpe. I thought you we were just, saying Derek. I've just realised. I've just realised it wasn't Clive. Actually, uh, Clive the Glyde Bricksley. It was Clyde. <laughs> Is that an athletic name? Yeah. Oh, so you're right. I'm wrong. I've <laughs> had <about> a whiskey. <laughs> Debbie. Debbie Thorpe.
1: Right, Debbie. we know Debbie Thorpe.
2: That's an athletic surname.
1: Yes. Yep. Ian Thorpe, the torpedo. Yeah.
3: The one with the big feet who used to be really good at swimming. Yep. He had 16 They've feet. They've always got big feet. I, o- they? I mean, obviously, I noticed that because I've got the same size feet, which was really cool. Yeah. For me. I
1: think mm. swimmers do have big hands. Yeah. I mean, Michael Phelps has got big hands and feet, hasn't he?
3: Yeah.
1: Anyway, Debbie. All right, Debbie. Like, Debbie McGee.
3: Have we not got a tennis player, Debbie? Deborah Jevons. Deborah yes. Jevons. Debbie who's Jevons. The new uh, Wimbledon chairman. Yep. There so we go. There we Thank
2: you, Debbie. Thanks, Debbie. Speaking of Michael Phelps, there's an M. Phelps in the junior tournament here. I was very confused because Michael Phelps was here. There's an,
1: there's an L Samsonova. Yeah, I noticed that. And an M, Yeah, And there's an M It's, it's, it's a fake Samsonova. <laughs> and she's doing really well, so she might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Debbie.
2: And finally, we have Sam Wood. All right, Sam. And Hello, Sam. Sam says that the highlight of her tennis year so far was chatting with Catherine and David on Centre Court I remember it well during Benchik yes.
1: oh yes oh. I do too it was so nice
3: to meet you Sam lovely and to s- meet Sam you Sam was wearing a Tennis Podcast t-shirt yes that was lovely
1: thank you Sam yeah, like Claire Sam. Wood
3: yeah
1: and like Sam Stosa Stosa she's yeah. here isn't she doing mm. commentary. yeah oh that's a lovely one to end on thank you Sam Thank you to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast. If you'd like to become a friend, if you're worried about post-US Open withdrawal symptoms, Friends of the Tennis Podcast has got you covered with all of our bocco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we'll be doing a review show and a Q&A show next week. We've got all sorts of other stuff planned. We still have tennis relived shows to bring you for 2023. There's all sorts coming your way. And the way to get access to it is by becoming a friend and supporting us year-round in what we do. The link to do that is in our show notes, as is the link to subscribe to the newsletter, the link to enter the competition. All the good stuff is in the show
3: notes, folks. Thanks for listening. Can I just say a quick thank you as well, please? You just did. To you (laughs) and to Matt for giving me my best ever U.S. Open Aww. birthday in 20 years. They took me out to lunch. They spoiled me rotten. They brought all my favorite colleagues together, apart from Pam, because she couldn't make it. <laughs> but she brought me a lovely bottle of whiskey. She was on air. She couldn't make it. Um, and, uh, and they're taking me to an NFL game on Monday. And I cannot wait. It's the coolest present imaginable. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you both.
1: oh you're very welcome, very David. Welcome. You're worth it. I am I'm going to an NFL game on Monday. <laughs> Men go that, bills. that's the headline there. Men
3: bending over. Can't wait. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There'll be content. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
3: I'll be excited.
1: We'll speak to you tomorrow.